hello right this is our inspiring the next cmo podcast series for behind the fluff podcast from the international bunch it's specifically for those in marketing those interested in marketing those in academic publishing scholarly comms and libraries who are we going to be talking with today zoe loveland Zoe is a senior director in marketing, and Zoe talks with us about audiobooks and exploding kittens. Yes, you did just hear that right, exploding kittens. The importance of surrounding yourself with different generations for inspiration, forging a path in publishing with a working class background, mentoring in a third world countries, fake it till you make it, balancing family life and career. Now, some of you may know that several years ago, Zoe was lucky enough to manage me and we went through some career developing times together, learning how to quickly and easily adapt to very changing times. So why don't we just jump straight in? Let's go. All right, welcome everybody to our Behind the Fluff Inspiring the Next CMO podcast series. Now you can find lots of great resources um, to really raise your game on our website, which is www.internationalbunch.com forward slash be inspired. I am delighted today to have Zoe Loveland with me. Now, Zoe is a, di- a senior director. Nearly gave you a demotion then, Zoe. So Zoe is a senior director of regional marketing EMEA in the industry. And in fact, Zoe and I used to work together some 11 years ago. And Zoe uh, was my boss. <laughs> um, we had some fun times and we had some challenging times. But one thing I can say about Zoe is I've always admired Zoe and Zoe has always been an excellent people manager and very very supportive um so hello zoe hello lou thank you so much for asking me to do this um this is uh, yeah i loved getting the questions and having a think about you know some of the topics that you just don't spend a lot of time thinking about every day so it's great thank you my pleasure well i had to have you involved in this so um now before we get started i have one question for you Something we ask everyone to do before we um, get started with our series of questions is we have a campaign that we do where we send out a a word of the day. So it's hashtag int bunch word of the day. And uh, we want to know what's your favorite word and what does it mean? So my favorite word is actually one that you've already had on your international bunch word of the day. but um, a couple of months ago, because I checked it out when I was uh, thinking about this, uh, and the word is uh, the word for the wonderful smell after it's been raining. Ooh, I missed that, that word. One. That word is petrichor. Ooh. So you know when you go out in the after you know it's been like especially in the summer when it's been really hot and there's been like you know it's been really dry for days and then you have a lovely rain shower and there's that beautiful kind of earthy smell and everything yeah. smells like it's coming back to life. Uh, that word is petrichor to describe that. And it's apparently, I found out, it's a Greek word from petri, which means rock, yeah. and ica, which was um, the blood of the, you know, the blood that through the veins of the Greek gods. Wow. So, but it's just like, it's lovely that there's a word to describe that. Just that delicious smell. Yasmin does an amazing job of finding some really random words. Wow. And I wish some of them we use more in our vocabulary. That yeah. is a brilliant word. And when you said that, literally, I could smell yeah. that smell. That gorgeous smell. Or when you're, when you're on holiday in a really hot place and there's like a thunderstorm or something, you know, I miss that. But that, that beautiful <laughs> smell you get. Oh, the good old days when we could yes. go on holiday. <laughs> that to genuinely warm places. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm always looking for an opportunity to use petrichor in a sentence. It doesn't come up very often. So thank you for allowing me to use that word. Well, you know, it's there to be used. I think that actually I should set you a little challenge in that in the next meeting that you have, you should stick it in. <laughs> yeah, it's quite challenging in marketing to find the word petrichor in academic marketing, but I'll try. Yeah, just just throw it in. Yeah. <laughs> So um, what is the best thing that you have discovered in the last year? Um, so I think one of the best things that I've discovered in the last year is, um, is the Audible app. Right because, there with you on that one. Yeah, like I was before, um, before the lockdown, I'd got really into listening to podcasts going to and from work. Um, and, you know, and we're going to talk about podcasts, I think, a bit later. But 
um, I really just like I was looking for something where I, if I'm feeling really tired and I don't want to look at stuff because we're all looking at screens all day, every day now with very little break. Yeah. You know, just like something a little bit longer than the kind of one hour podcast. Um, and I have listened to so many books on Audible and it's such an amazing, immersive experience. Um, I think I've got more out of books that I've listened to and a deeper understanding of them probably than, you know, than when I'm just doing normal reading. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I've absolutely loved it. It's the contribution of the people who read the books, who have like, you know, I've read books narrated by Tom Hanks um, and and other people. And it just, yeah, I've loved it. It's been really great. The other thing I've really enjoyed, totally irrelevant, is uh, discovering the card game Exploding Kittens. Ooh, uh, it's what is that? It's a card game where you basically use tactics to try and get your, uh, whoever's mm. playing with you, to pick up the Exploding Kitten card. And we've spent hours as a family, like tricking each other, being sneaky. Uh, so yeah, I highly recommend Exploding Kittens, the card game. Oh, my God. I'm definitely going to look that up. That sounds hilarious. I completely agree with you about Audible, though. Um, I also have been listening to it a lot in the last year. And I go running and listen to it because I'm terrible at reading. And I know you've always been really good at reading from when we worked together. And... I uh, I just, I needed something to distract me. And um, it's amazing. And also listening to podcasts. I mean, I find I'm running along trying to breathe, but then I'm chuckling to myself. And no yeah. one's got any idea what I'm listening to, but yeah, brilliant. Yeah. Um, I'm just still laughing in my head about exploding kitten card game. Yeah. <laughs> um, so who inspires you? Gosh, this, is, this is a really, really tricky one because I don't think there's any one person or any one level at which I'm inspired like sure I'm quite often inspired by you know famous people people like uh, Jacinda Ardens who's running a country or Michelle Obama who's yeah. you know who I absolutely loved her autobiography and was really inspired by her both her and Jacinda Ardern's ability to be in these extreme positions of leadership that they've never seen themselves in, but yeah. still be themselves um, and still be true to their values and yeah. not listen to the critics who wanted them to behave in different ways. So those kinds of people do really inspire me, but I'm also really inspired just on a day-to-day -day basis by a lot of the people that I work with, um, particularly my team at the moment. Yeah. Um, I work with a lot of women who are slightly younger generation than me uh, and I am I'm really inspired by their confidence their dedication to continuous learning their their resolve and sense of strong sense of self and direction that I don't feel like I had particularly at their age um, and at their where they are in their roles so you know I, I take a lot of inspiration from working with them as well just and being able to help them is one of the most rewarding things, I think, that I get to do. Yeah. I mean, I've worked with your team from a, through a work capacity in terms of like, you know, from us to you, because you're one of our clients. And, and I have to say that I've always been impressed with those of your team that I've worked with. They really are rising stars. And um, actually, I think that they themselves, they get involved with some really interesting projects. But when you speak to them from my perspective, as um, you're, you know, you've been the client and me as a on the agency side, I'm just really impressed with the caliber of your team and what they're actually doing and their feedback and how they want things to be done. And yeah, so I think they're really That's fab great. too. And That's I don't great. just say that because you're my client. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to say that um, and I have to say that no I don't have to say that because I'm their manager but actually yeah, exactly. I do find it it's it's keeping me on my toes yeah it's keeping me on my toes they have knowledge because they've come up through marketing in a different way to me and I yeah. know we'll probably talk about this as well but they have knowledge and experience that I don't have and they push me to be better all the time and to learn more because you know I'm my goal is to make them successful. Um, you know, my success is them being successful. Yeah. And I I really have to, you know, I listen to them a lot and I've, I learned such a huge amount from working with them. No, that's really lovely. And I think that when they hear this, they'll, they'll really appreciate that as well. Um, so when you were young, what did you want to be? 
Oh, it's such a boring cliche for someone working in the publishing industry. What, a marketer? No, no, I didn't want to do marketing. I didn't even know what that was. Uh, But I wanted to do something that was um, oriented in writing and creativity, of course. Like, you know, when I was really young, I wanted to be an author. Um, I've obviously, you know, we talk, you know, I've always loved books. I've always loved reading. You know, at the time when I was young, before I went to university, I really thought that meant that I'd want to be like a journalist because journalists yeah. are cool and they get to do lots of writing. Um, and it, you know, it wasn't until I got to university and I joined the student newspaper that, like, within about th- three assignments on the student newspaper, I was like, this, this really isn't for me. I don't <laughs> like this at all. Um, but how can I still be involved in? the world of the written word and creativity um, and telling stories. So, and I think that's how I really ended up in marketing because I love that telling stories piece. So I also really wanted to be, there used to be, this is going to tell my age now, there used to be a programme on BBC One called The Holiday Programme. Uh, and I really wanted to be a presenter on the holiday program because they travelled around to all these exotic resorts and things to encourage people to take holidays abroad. Uh, so I really wanted to do that as well. But I love travel too. So I think that's influenced me, even though I didn't end up a TV presenter on holiday programmes. Listen, you could start your own blog. You know, yeah. the world is your oyster now. Well, well, at the moment, it's a very small portion of Cambridgeshire is my oyster. But I'm not sure how much of an audience that would get. Mind you, I don't know if you can travel further than we can. We In Wales, we can only travel five miles. That's quite restrictive. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty similar here. Yeah. <laughs> so um, if you were to have dinner tonight with anybody, alive or dead, anybody in the world, who would it be? So first of all, it would probably be my mum mm-hmm. because I really miss seeing my mum. Um, yeah. And so that would be my number one. But uh, if she wasn't available, uh, I would probably ask uh, the um, writer and Times columnist, Caitlin Moran, to join oh, me yes. Yes. because um, I've read all her books. I read her column in the Saturday Times every week. Uh, we're the same age, roughly. Um, and I just, she's so smart and so funny and she's so incisive with her observations. I think she would just be, I think we'd just have a real laugh over dinner. So I like to think yeah, she'd she's like me and we'd get along. Um, she is but, really funny. I'm listening to her latest um, book on Audible at the moment. Oh, yes. And I listen to her when I run. And I have to say, when I listen to her book just previous from 2012, I was thinking some of the things she was saying, I was thinking, mm, not really quite for me. Some things I found really funny. Some things I was thinking, mm. and now listening to her, what is it, like nearly 10 years on. Yep. And yeah. with her latest book and how Absolute she's woman, grown. Yeah, she's grown, she's adapted. And and I'm like, yeah, now, now we're on the same. I don't and I don't know if it was me reading as a 40-something-year-old the, the old version yeah. and thinking, mm. but now reading going, yes, yeah. yes. So I I I listened to that towards the end of last year and uh, it was one of those, like you say, about laughing as you're like going for yeah. a run or a walk, like literally walking the dog and thinking, if people could hear this, like I needed to check my headphones really on, like I'm laughing my head off, but I'm thinking, oh my God, I do not want my children to hear this stuff. Yeah, um, she does swear. We, we do have to yeah. warn people, she does swear a bit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, you know, as a person who's also going into parenting teenagers now, I just like I find her kind of thoughts on it really helpful. And I remember when your daughter was just like a year old. You yeah, know? I remember. Yes. Wow. Sorry, Lou. She's fourteen now. Oh, I can't believe it. Yeah, neither can I. I don't look amazing. Oh gosh, gosh, time does fly, doesn't it? Yeah. Um. So tell me about your career and how you got to to where you are today. Um, so I already said a little bit about it, about, you know, going to university, um, thinking I wanted to be a journalist, uh, doing an English and American literature degree because love reading, love books, um, love, you know, talking to people about books and reading. And so um, and when I realized it wasn't for me, um, journalism, I you know went to the careers advisors at university and, you know, there were two things that I you know started investigating more. One was um librarianship and um the other was a career in publishing so 
Um, and I thought at the time that my, you know, that where I'd be most happy um, would be in like commercial fiction publishing industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't my initial goal was to start working there. Um, I left university and at the time in the mid 90s, we were still in a bit of a recession and it was really hard to get jobs. Uh, mm-hmm. So I actually ended up working in a Waterstones bookshop in central London and absolutely mm-hmm. loved it, loved being a bookseller. But the whole reason for working there was to meet all the publishers agents who would come and sell us stuff because you'd run your own section and you'd be the buyer for your section and for them to get to know me and hopefully if there were openings at publishers to you know recommend me for a job Um, and that's what ended up happening Um, I ended up getting my first breaking publishing as a publicity and marketing assistant at Cattle and Co um, working on their non-fiction list uh, marketing books about uh, making dolls houses and uh, gardening books with Alan Titchmarsh. Um, And so did that for a couple of years um, and then moved into fiction publishing. um, So doing, I was hired as creative marketing assistant um, for Hodder Headline Publishers. um, And I was doing fiction marketing. I very quickly realized though, like after about being in that world, uh, just a few years, that it probably wasn't right for me because as much as I love books and I love reading um i i didn't really fit into the the mold of the people who worked in that environment it was all um very public school oriented at the time i'm sure it's changed since then but late 90s and i and i came from a very working class background and was struggling to live in london on the dreadful salaries that you get paid in commercial publishing and i believe it's got even worse since then because i hear a lot about you know, the exploitation of work experience students and things like that. And, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, it was a tough market to break into, but I realized it wasn't for me. And uh, I actually ended up transitioning into uh, working in legal and regulatory publishing for um, Butterworth's Tolly, who are part of the Reed Elsevier empire. Oh, yes, yes. Um, And I, I really enjoyed that. That was where I really learned a lot more of the nuts and bolts of marketing up until then, marketing had been very much about writing creative copy to go on adverts, to go on billboards, uh, to write press releases and things. And then when I got to legal and regulatory publishing, that's where I learned direct mail strategies, lead generation, um, getting people to um, adopt books as part of their their companies, their law companies, um, you know, library. And it was, it was a real education in, okay, marketing is, more than fluff <laughs> behind the fluff. Yes, uh, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And from there, I went to work for Elsevier um, because it was part of the same um, group and I joined yeah. their health sciences division. That was when I got my first break as a marketing manager. I think one of the things I learned through my career is, you know, certainly in my early days, it was necessary to move around a bit to get promotions. Like it's very hard in marketing. They're quite flat structures. They've always been to get to the next level so yeah. I got my first role at Elsevier as a marketing manager at managing their health sciences list. Um, really, really enjoyed that role, um, but wanted to move out of London. Uh, started looking around and that's how I found ProQuest, uh, where I've been for 15 years since. Uh, they're based in Cambridge, um, for those people who don't know. And um, it was an area of publishing that I didn't even know existed when I got the job. Like I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, but it was a real kind of opportunity for me to marry my early interest in librarianship um, with the publishing industry, with academic publishing. And what I really like about, you know, this area um, is that sense of it's, you know, there's meaning to what you do. You're helping researchers. Um, There's a real kind of mission around enabling those researchers and research discoveries to happen and hopefully opportunities for people to fulfill their own academic and career opportunities um, by doing this study by the way I hope you can't hear my dog snoring no no I can't I was but you know as as we said just before we started this the uh we both have dogs in the room and mine jumped off the sofa wandered over in front knocked my light wandered over in front I was thinking shut up (laughs) mine's snoring really loudly she's tiny dog but she snores yeah she's content yeah Yeah. so if anyone hears any kind of you know yeah we're guessing that's your dog dog. (laughs) 
Yeah, so yeah, so that's how I ended up at ProQuest, where I've been for 15 years um, and worked in various different roles, starting out in product marketing, as you know, because we worked together in product yeah. marketing that was called strategic marketing at the time. Uh, and then from there, I moved into a new or a new role they created called segment planning. Um, and that's when I got my first break as a director. Um, and that was a role um, that ProQuest created around kind of looking at market trends and market sizing and market opportunity for like what direction, you know, it was much more of a strategy role than a marketing role. Yeah. Um, learned a huge amount doing that around strategy and again, storytelling um, and, you know, being able to communicate to C-suite about what, what they should do and be able yeah. to convince them of your arguments. And then uh, for the last three, four years, nearly, I've been um, leading the, uh, EMEA regional marketing organization or the company. So combining regional marketing, field marketing tactics, and also market development, kind of which was how segment planning really evolved into. Yeah, I think that strategic marketing team that we were in, for me, was an absolute life changer in my yeah. career. Yeah. And it was probably, I would say, apart from what I do now, but from a client side, it was one of the most valuable experiences I've ever had and completely changed yeah. me as a person. And it was, it really was an incredible team. Yeah. And I've never experienced anything like it since. Yeah. And, and I don't know if I ever will again, but there's so many things I've taken from, from that time that I now very much implement in what I do moving yeah. forward. It was it was just such a good team. I, I think you're right. I think that was such a, a revelation and a foundational role for me because it combined strategy and planning with field marketing tactics. And yeah. you know, in my previous roles, it'd been very tactical, just like, you know, sending out campaigns, trying to get leads back in, trying to, you know, Elsevier, trying to get people to adopt our nursing textbooks. But this role really did say, right, okay, you've got this region you've got this product set you're responsible for like what's your plan and that like that really has made a huge difference that close engagement with working with product teams with working with sales organizations and trying to make both pieces successful both strategically and on tactics to drive engagement it's it's yeah. really helped me through you know i go back to those foundations repeatedly um when i'm absolutely things and still use a lot of those things that we learned. It was a game changer, wasn't it? Yeah. It really was. Yeah. Um, so what have you been most proud of in your career? So I think the thing that I've been most proud of has been the opportunities both formally and informally. I've had to do mentoring and coaching. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that I most enjoy, particularly as I've had more opportunity to do it more formally as a team leader, but also all the informal opportunities I've been given since the early days of my career, really. Um, since I start, you know, since basically when I got a marketing exec role at Butterworth Tolly and, you know, I volunteered to be the person who supported the work experience students when they came yeah. in. And I use that more than just like task-based, but try, you know, quickly saw an opportunity to kind of coach these people build their confidence, help them identify what they wanted to do next in their career and help them get the most out of the experiences they were having. And since then, ProQuest has a, um, a mentoring scheme. Um, I've been a mentee in it and I've been a mentor on it. Um, I've done some mentoring um, for some uh, women at work charities um, where they work with people in the third world, um, women who are in third world countries around, you know, who are starting their own businesses and things totally removed from my own experience, but really people who just need someone to listen to them and believe in them. And it's yeah. just amazing how just being in someone's corner and telling them you think they're doing great and helping them unblock whatever problem there is, you know, and I don't unblock it for them. I don't tell them what to do, but helping them think through things in ways that they've not thought through before to unblock something and come to a red, you know, a bit of a self-revelation sometimes and sometimes it's very small and sometimes it's very transformative um that you know that these people have you know gone on to have success in different areas and 
I'm not always in marketing. Um, one of the people I mentored um, went on to um, start her own company. Another person that I was lucky enough wow. to mentor um, is now a published author. Um, you know, and then other people have been just people, you know, within marketing roles or um, sometimes, you know, and that's been, and I think that, you know, that's one of the most rewarding things to get involved in is, yeah. you know, helping people your experiences but also lifting up other people and you know helping build their confidence and self-belief yeah love that and I love that phrase lifting up other people I do mentoring stuff too and it and it does make you feel like you're making real difference for someone you know if there's something that you've learned along the way that you can pass on it's incredible and now that you say that I mean that sounds absolutely brilliant are there any of the charities that you want to name to recommend um, so that people can get in touch? Because I tend to find that it's harder for um, there to be mentors. There are generally usually a lot of mentees looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is a, this is a problem. Um, so let me, um, I'll send you the, I'll send you the links afterwards yeah, to put the, um, in the chat. Um, there's a, uh, Dr. Suzanne Collins, who does a lot of this um, and puts people in touch with mentors and mentees. Um, right. So, yeah. And so, so we'll include we... that in our description. That'd be perfect. Yeah, yeah thanks Absolutely. so much. That'd be fab. So um, what have you found the most challenging in your career? Working, working, <laughs> being my boss. <laughs> Do I don't know, not quite. Like, but, you know, being your boss wasn't the most challenging experience. Damn it. Damn it. I, you know, you tried. Um, but uh, yeah, so I mean, some of the most challenging experiences, like, you know, like we talked earlier, like I really, you know, I get inspired by the people I work with, you know, I like yeah. them to challenge me, like you challenge me just as much as anybody. And that makes, you know, that makes you better. And it makes me better being challenged in those things. I do just because I'm the leader of a team. I don't have all the answers. Like I'm perfectly prepared to be vulnerable about that kind of stuff and like have other people's, I, I want to take other people's ideas. I don't want to run with mine because quite often mine are quite rubbish. Uh, but if I can help someone else run with theirs, that's good. But no, the um, most challenging thing, and I don't know, you might be able to relate to this, like, but like it's for me, it was, it's been navigating a path as somebody who's a career oriented woman and also a mother of two children who, yeah. who I adore, obviously. But when I, when I had Juliet 14 years ago, I didn't have any role models or anyone in my peer group who was planning to do the same thing as me and go back to work full time and, yeah. um, and try and have a career. Like everybody that I met in my parenting groups um, and in my social circles, you know, they were planning to go back to work part time and take a back seat on their careers for the next yeah. 10, 15 years until, you know, at least until their children got to secondary school. And I wasn't planning to do that. And I didn't, didn't have anyone to talk to or relate to about the, what I was going through. My mum had mm. given up work, you know, in the 70s. She worked in publishing. She gave up work as soon as she had me and my brother. And then until we were teenagers, she, you know, she did invoicing for my dad's company. Like, yeah. you know, so I didn't have anyone. And I've, like, and it's just trying to find my own path for what's going to work for me and yeah. be successful and manage the guilt you get on both sides. Um, yeah. I've spent a lot of time like listening to different people who now, you know, having found podcasts and things, um, you know, there's so much more information out there about how people are navigating this. And I think there's, there's so much better support now for women in the workplace um not that I'm saying that my company you know were, were bad about it but you know I didn't there wasn't really anybody in a similar situation to me when I started going through this and you know and and I travel for work and I've always traveled for work and I'm really fortunate that I have a very supportive partner um who's always supported me in my career ambitions and and I have kids now who because I traveled a lot for work when they were small, were yeah. quite independent early on and have, you know, Juliet could do her own hair by the time she was five years old. She hated yeah. it when I was away for work and her dad did it. Um, you know, but at the same time, <laughs> just, you know, managing and finding the right path for me and the right balance yeah. between working and parenting. Like it's a, and the fact that there is no easy answer. Um, 
it's very yeah, challenging, isn't it? And it, it's yeah. very hard to prioritise yourself because suddenly you are just not a priority anymore, but you've got to find your way, like you said. But then, Zoe, you've done an amazing job on the path that you've taken and what you've done. You've always been an incredibly solid, innovative performer. And you clearly, you know, you know what you're doing. The reason that you've actually remained at ProQuest through yeah. many organisational shifts and changes it's because you're very adaptive um, to different environments and also you really see where you need to be going and what you need to be doing. So, you know, credit to you for that. And I, as a, as a late mum, as a, as, as you know, your, the, the term is coined when you have children later on in life as a geriatric mother, yeah. um, you know, what you say really resonates with me now because, you know, my daughter's three. So it's just like, yeah. And, I, and it was really nice of you to say that. I don't think I always felt like I knew what I was doing. Um, you know, fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> well, you like, faked it really well then. <laughs> you know, I didn't always feel 100% confident in what I was doing. And, you know, there were challenging days when, oh, you know, yeah. going to work and you're dropping your child at nursery and they're screaming their head off. Like, now I ask my kids about that and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I love yeah, nursery. They don't remember. Like, it's so fascinating. Like I remember the torture of leaving them when they're really young. And I remember, you know, and I still have missed some of their small milestones. First sports day, missed when Juliet had her leavers assembly before going to secondary school. And, you know, mm -hmm. those things I'll always feel slightly guilty about. But like my kids don't feel bad about it and they don't know anything different and no. so I feel really quite you know reassured by the fact that it's not bothered them as much as I tortured myself when they were small that it was going to bother them um, it's life isn't it Zoe though I mean we can't be expected to be there for everything and and when they're older you won't want them to feel like that when they have children or if they have exactly. children it, it, it's okay you know yeah exactly and it took yeah it took me a long time and a lot of work and you know and seeing a couple of therapists to like help me come to terms with that and like not feel guilty about the fact that I really was passionate about my job and the people I work with. And, you know, and that's another thing when it comes back to helping people is I now work with people who, you know, on my team who've got young children. And I think it, it really helps me to, you know, I can really empathize with the situation yes. that they find themselves in and, and hope that, you know, that I can reassure them in a way that won't make them feel this way that I felt sometimes when I was dealing with those situations. And, you know, it's a challenge that keeps evolving because absolutely now they're older, like you might think they lead you less, but in some ways they need you more than when they were yeah. tiny. And they're going to remember these years a lot more clearly. I think it's, I mean, one of the most um, poignant things that my business mentor, Nathan Faruja, has said to me is, it's not about work-life balance. It's actually about quality. So yes. you could spend a morning with your kids and be doing stuff and they're around, but actually if it, rather than spending four hours doing that and being distracted by work emails or whatever, actually if you spent an hour and you sat down as a family and you did something, you played exploding kitten card games, something like that, that hour of valuable time of yeah. concentrated valuable time will mean so much more to them than you know a whole morning or a whole day where you're kind of there but not there yeah so, and, that work-life balance thing it's rubbish yeah like it's the same as this like you know you can't have it all um yeah. like it's all rubbish and it's yeah. just there to make women particularly feel bad yeah. Um, and yeah, you're right. It's about the quality, not the quantity of the time, yeah. you know, that you spend with your kids. Well, I hope it is anyway, because I only oh, have about an hour and a half a day to spend on homeschool. So like, <laughs> it better be quality, not quantity. <laughs> Depends what their output is. And I hope that you're measuring their output. So that's yes, fine. absolutely. Yes. <laughs> oh, we're such marketeers, aren't we? Yeah. So bearing in mind that you are a senior director now what's your ultimate career goal so i've never had career goals like yeah. never i've always just followed what seems really interesting to me because i like it's curiosity that drives me um rather than career opportunities i'm driven by is this interesting can i get engaged in it like what can i learn um yeah. and so like 
I am very happy with what I do now. Like I, I'm in a position where I can do the things that I really care about in terms of culture and supporting others and coaching and mentoring. I also, I act as the site lead for Cambridge as well. So um, I have an opportunity to do things that outside of marketing that I really care about, like influencing company culture and the type of organization that I want to work for. Um, And yeah, so I don't, so I really am in a comfortable, happy place where I'm still being stretched every day um, and learning new things. Um, But also, you know, getting to bring new things into marketing. Because I think marketing is changing so fast right now that like it's like this kind of steam train running through and you've got to keep catching up with it like constantly. Um, So there's, you know, so my career goal is to stay on top of that, basically. Um, And yeah, and just carry on having that opportunity to have some influence over helping people and culture. Brilliant. So if you weren't doing your role now and money was absolutely no object, what would you be? I think I'd be, I think that I'd be more than one thing. Um, I think um, I, I would probably be studying. I would like, I would love to be back. Like, I don't want to do postgraduate anything, but I'd love to be be an academic, wouldn't you? Well, no, I think I'd like to be doing more undergraduate degrees being a student. I don't particularly want to be an academic, but I would love to, like, you know, I'd love to study more history, um, social history. Um, I'd like to study um, some some aspects of business, like um, some, some of the social psychology around business and advertising, um, those aspects. Um, so I think I'd be doing that. Uh, I'd also, this is a bit off the wall, but... Um, I've um, I've always really, really um, had this um, thing for the humble uh, British hedgehog, and because oh, you yes, I remember from Facebook. Yeah, so I first yeah, so there's a local lady who runs a hedgehog rescue centre, and my family we foster a hedgehog every winter that would be too small to hibernate. So I think I'd probably be running some kind of hedgehog sanctuary and hedgehog hospital because. You, you laugh, but hedgehogs no, I love are it. truly I endangered species in the UK. There's less than a million left. And it is our lifestyles and the way we build housing developments and things that is yeah. just destroying their population because they can't roam and meet. I hedgehogs. love them. I absolutely babies. love them. Like, I wish I saw more of them. And, and I actually don't yeah. see any. No, hardly any, unless they're being rescued. Like, there's less than a million left in the country now. And, like, their populations have declined from, like, I think 20 years ago, there were, like, 10 million of them. Mm -hmm. So, like, they're truly endangered. So I would be probably doing something mad. I'd be, like, a mad hedgehog lady. (laughs) Credit to you. I think I'd be right there with you. And, actually, I do remember seeing that on Facebook. And uh, so it's interesting you saying that it was a a local woman to you. And we're obviously not in the same country. You're in England. I'm in Wales. But that makes me feel like I should get in contact because I've got a big enough garden here. I should get in contact yeah. with um, with uh, see if there's a local charity because I was really inspired when I saw you do that. And I just well, thought, what uh, just a lovely thing to do. Well, that's the thing with the Hedgehog Rescue is it is all people with either land or big garden sheds who are just like independently like there's you know there's very little coordinating effort to save hedgehogs it's a grassroots people just becoming rescuing them and becoming the person that people take the hedgehog they find out during the day to um Mm. so it's a big grassroots organization which gives me hope um, and i would love to play a bigger role in it if i could well, you never know. One day you might move to, you know, a house for the bigger garden and actually have your own exactly. little sanctuary, even while you're working. Who knows? Exactly. Yeah, there is that hope. <laughs> so um, now, which three inspiring professional books would you say are a must read for a marketer and why? So I'm, I'm going to say, I'll confess out loud, I'm not a big reader of professional books the third interview that we've done they're the third person to say that so you're not there alone are, there are a couple of books um that i have really enjoyed um one of so i don't know if they cla- like i don't know if this first one properly classifies as a professional book but um 
there is a data journalist called David McCandless, um, and he has a, a website called Information is Beautiful, and he's also written a book, um, two books called Information is Beautiful. And um, when we talk about telling stories, increasingly these days as marketers, we have to tell stories with data. Yeah. <laughs> and he has, you know, and charts are really boring, can be very confusing, but he has like cornered this whole area of the market around visualizing data concepts in ways that people can understand. So he has this famous graphic called the billion dollar gram. Right. And it basically shows like, uh, like what a billion dollars looks like in terms of um, how much governments spend on um, defense or yeah. uh, versus education. Like what, do, like we see these big numbers all the time. Governments yeah. talk about, oh, we're giving like $300 million or, you know, 300 million pounds to education. Like that's a drop in the ocean compared to like how much they spend on defense, but you have no way yeah. of, relating these things together anyway but he does these amazing beautiful graphics again i'll send you the link to his website because he's actually yeah. got some really good visualizations around covid but i found you know sometimes when i'm having to put together presentation decks which i seem to spend an increasing amount of my time on for either like customer <laughs> yeah and i know yeah. uh, or leadership team like I quite often will go back to his books to look for ideas like, you know, Excellent. some of the stuff he does is really wacky and off the wall kind of data visualization. And there are yeah. much more sensible business books about how to do a great bar chart. But like I really that telling story with data is so important and being able to show someone something and not have to explain a chart to them is crucial. And so I go back to him a lot and flick through his books when I'm feeling like I'm struggling for an idea for something I've got to present. So I definitely recommend that. Um, not specifically a marketing book, uh, but when I got my latest role about four years ago, my boss gave me a book called The First 90 Days. Um, and I have to remind myself who it's by, by uh, Michael Watkins. And it's a really good book for someone taking up a new kind of role in a leadership position it just walks you through a step-by-step -step process for the first 90 days in a new role because that yeah. first 90 days, you know, as, as we all know, is so crucial to set you up for success longer term. And, you know, there are so many pitfalls that you can make and so many things you can do in that first 90 days that you just like, you don't know at the time. So I used that book quite a lot when I was kind of walking through like Excellent. how to do this new role. So those would be two that I would recommend. Like yep. I'm much more a fan of reading like articles, uh, short articles in, in yes. or Wired or HBR or whatever, or the EIU. Like I, I much prefer reading articles rather than whole books. I well, we're time poor, aren't we? And, and so, biographies and things. Yeah, we're very time poor now, aren't we? So we need stuff that's easily digestible. And actually reading books is quite hard. I've been listening to, um, I read uh, a book recently, uh, Who, Moved, Who Moved My Cheese, I think it is. Okay. And that's a really interesting book about change management. Um, I'm not going to go and explain it, but <laughs> it's... Okay, uh, you'll have to send me it if you think it's... Yeah. A I do, it's, it's very short as well. I listen to it on Audible. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, so it's, um, it's super short and uh, it's literally like as a book, it's like that. So it's okay. Yeah, no, I like I like business books like that. When you look at it audible, it says one and a half hours. You're like, yeah, that'll do me. <laughs> That's from one run for you, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My marathon training. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so um, what's your most favorite book, um, podcast, blog, whatever? And why? There's a dog jumping off the sofa. That's fine. That's fine. Um, can I have three podcasts? Can I have what, uh, as many as you like. Okay, so uh, first podcast is one that's definitely work related and is one of those, again, alternatives to reading professional business books. Yeah. Uh, and it's a great podcast called How to Be Awesome at Your Job. Um, and it's been going for ages. Uh, it's um, the guy who does the podcast is called Pete. I'm going to say his surname wrong. I think it's Pete Mackaydis. It doesn't okay. look like that. Is It looks like Pete Makato on, but he says Mackaydis. Um, and he just like interviews people who've written professional business books about 
marketing or about leadership or all sorts of different topics. Uh, and that interview basically saves you reading the book. Uh, you could just like, and then he produces every week a little um, blog post, which is called like the gold nugget. And it basically is the one page view of the key takeaways from that interview. So you don't even need to listen to the podcast. Yeah. But um, there are so many, like such a library of like whatever business situation you're stuck in. Like you can go to his website and you'll find like multiple really amazing speakers like on, and he does these great podcast interviews. So I recommend, I really recommend that. Um, I also really like, um, and this is like more of a personal thing, but actually it does cross over with work life balance is um, a podcast called postcards from the midlife. Uh, and it's by uh, Lorraine Candy and Trish Halpin. And uh, they're both former like magazine ed- editors, but they talk about, you know, it's really relatable to me. Like it's, uh, professional women with who've had amazing careers well I'm not amazing career but professional women like who like now have teenagers now find themselves at a pivotal moment you know as you're kind of like heading into your 50s like pivotal moment in your life around change they're they're extremely funny but uh and they're and they're sometimes quite rude but they're also it's really really like there are some real gems of information and they get great speakers on it and it's all about like managing that midlife transition um, that many women go through. And then the last one that I've always really enjoyed is um, the Feel Better Live More podcast by Dr. Rongan Chatterjee. Like he's a doctor, but also real lifestyle medicine person. And um, he, yeah, he too gets amazing people every week from different walks of life, you know, in health, fitness, nutrition, uh, mental health areas. around this whole concept of if you feel better you live more so love those podcasts fantastic you've given us some really great recommendations there and i'm sure that people have some really good fun listening to those they sound really really good um so if you could travel back in a time machine i mean one day they'll probably exist um would what would you tell your early career self (sighs) so i so I think I'd tell my early career self to stop stressing out over my failures. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's, there's an acronym now they teach in school, and I wish they'd taught it to us. I, you might hear this uh, when Papa gets a bit older. Uh, fail. Right. First attempt in learning. Like, that's what they say. A fail is a first attempt in learning. And, like, I, and you have to fail before you can succeed. Yeah. Um, and you will learn more from your failures than from your successes. And I wish I had known that when I was much younger and didn't sweat that stuff quite so much yeah. when things didn't work out as I planned. Like the only person judging me was me. Yeah. Like, and so, um, so we have like a real culture in our marketing organization from like my boss down, like that, um, testing and failing is like completely welcome and yes we want to review and discuss failures in meetings as much as we want to discuss successes and it's not and it's really about learning from those experiences and I you know I don't think I was in companies that had that culture back in the early days but yeah that culture really has transformed the way you know I know my team think about taking risks and pushing things because they know that they're not going to get into trouble if something doesn't work. Um, they know that we're going to learn from it and we're going to move on and we're going to try something exactly. different. And so, yeah. So I wish I'd known that and I wish I could tell myself, chill, it's okay. Absolutely. I think the worst thing is, though, is if you if you make a mistake and you keep making the same mistake and you don't, Absolutely. Change, you don't adapt and you don't be agile. And some marketers will say to me, um, you know, I've always done this because I'll ask the question and I'll say, do you, the marketing that you've just done, if it's a specific campaign or something, I'll say, are you proud of that? And they'll go, no, not really. But I've done it because I've always done it and I don't really have time not to do it. And then it's about changing a mindset and saying, actually, change what you're doing, test it. If it's not working, put it back to what you were doing before. It's absolutely fine. And like you said, it's about learning from your mistakes. I find it... Um, sad in let's say in a a research community where scientists are 
are discouraged from publishing negative results yeah. because if they do that how's the community that research community supposed to move forward if they all keep making the same mistakes so yeah absolutely. Results. and I think finally negative results are being recognized as important I mean there's really? certainly you know everything that we do as a team we talk we evaluate afterwards what went well yeah. what didn't work okay yeah. this didn't work what are you going to try next exactly. like that is the conversations that you know the managers and team members have with everything that we do it's yeah. it's you know there's a real culture of test put something out in market reset test yeah. reset like nothing comes out like you know, I'd rather have something imperfect go out into market as a test than people spend ages planning something, making it fully baked, having a huge yeah. holistic plan and everything they're going to roll out. Like, because, you know, if the first thing fails, then everything else fails. So, yeah, you know, exactly. that test and iterate is is just so important in marketing these days to find <sighs> the right spot and find the channel or the message or whatever that someone's going to do what you want them to do, like the yeah. call to actions. They're, they're so important these days. Um, and so, you know, we, we're, not afraid, like, we're not afraid as a team to, to do that. That's fantastic. Like it has to be embedded in the culture. Oh, absolutely. And it's really, really great to hear that you've got such an agile mindset there and that your team is doing that. That's very important. Um, so what piece of advice... Um, or what is the best piece of advice that you have ever been given? Um, the best piece of advice that I've ever been given. Wow. I've had so much advice over the years on so many topics. Um, one of the things that I talk a lot with people that I'm mentoring or coaching with is about comfort zones. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things that sticks with me is that a comfort zone is a fine place, but nothing grows there. Like, Yes, like, you know, quite often people are afraid of making change, of taking the next step, of putting themselves out there, um, you know, because they they exist in a comfort zone um, yeah. and they feel safe there and they feel supported and they like their role and they like their teammates and, you know, they don't want to put themselves forward for a project or something. But, you know, the best piece of advice I was ever given, and it's, I think it's why I've been able to pivot so much and change at ProQuest Yep. is continually push myself out of my comfort zone just a little bit and this idea that the more you take those tiny steps out of your comfort zone your comfort zone just keeps growing bigger and bigger and you know and then your experiences will be broader your opportunity you'll take more opportunities to learn every every tiny step out of a comfort zone will bring you more confidence to do the next thing and the next thing and i think that you know that has been really helpful advice for me especially working in marketing where this environment is so so like no if I went back to the 1990s when I first started out here like it's unrecognizable yeah, completely like, even my CIM qualifications were all based around um sending out direct mail post and um like brochures and catalog design and working with printers like yeah. it's just it's transformed just in the you know the 20 years that I've been in in this industry well I hope the CIM's transformed without changing oh, yeah. times so, like, we yeah. did it years ago <laughs> yeah so my team who do CIM now I'm like this is so much cooler like you know they're all doing digital engagement strategies and it's yeah it has totally changed but you know you've got to keep pushing yourself out of your comfort zone in marketing because it is moving so fast the whole I think that phrase that you said though I mean that that really is a very strong phrase that nothing grows in the comfort zone. Yeah. I mean, and that makes me think, yeah, you're, you're right. It's very, yeah. very strong. And it's so, just a short phrase, but it just so helped. I think it unlocks something in people. It does. Kind of draw that circle and say, look, this is your comfort zone. Like, what would it take for you to make one small step out of it? What would be the step that you would first Absolutely. take? And some people are very happy to stay in their comfort zone because when it comes to work, because actually they're moving out of their comfort zone in their personal life and yeah. they're doing the things that they want to do. But work is there as a stable thing that they do yeah. that they go in and do every day. Absolutely. So it can be applicable to any part of your life. 
So what is your number one tip for anyone working in marketing right now? Stay on top of the technology. Like, um, so, you know, never before has marketing been so much of a, of a combination of science and creativity. Yeah. And you can't be success, you know, you need, you can't be successful without being able to pair those two things and understand where marketing is going and understand where where marketing as a profession is going but also the tools available to you to be successful um yeah so i really just i really advise people to really think about marketing as a science you can be telling the most amazing stories but if you're not reaching the right audience through the right channels and understanding what it means when you get that feedback um it, you're just not going to be successful yeah absolutely i think that's brilliant advice and you've also mentioned a number of different resources as well that will be in the de- the description for this podcast and in the blog post that we can point people to to also to help them to keep themselves abreast of what's happening um and point them to the right resources yeah so what do you miss most since we have had the covid-19 pandemic um oh gosh i think it's the same as many other people first of all i miss family yeah secondly i miss uh friends yeah uh thirdly i really miss theater and live performance um yeah yeah, three things that were really important in my life before covid um and not even like doing anything fancy with friends i just like to have a friend around and have a cup of tea (laughs) just want to touch a friend I mean you just want to be like can I touch you can I hug you yeah just like invite someone in for a cup of tea they can come inside the house yeah like yeah just to sit down and just have a chat over a cup of coffee like I really miss that I miss the office to some extent as well I miss the you know I've been sat in this room for a year um and i missed that socialization but i think we've managed to find ways to compensate really well for that um but yeah i do i mean i mean your dog's done great hasn't she she's kept your oh, company but you know <laughs> hate it when i do go back to the office i'm like, snoring like, at you you I'm know so there's not much more output from her is there you know you can't have a conversation with her <laughs> no no she yeah uh, yeah but it's a comforting presence and remind me what her name is bella bella is Bella gorgeous. Bella. I'm surprised she didn't sit up then and go, what? What? Oh no, this is a this no, she's, she's out for the whole day sleeping. Um, so is there anything that you want to ask me? Yes. I want to ask you, uh, so I really want to ask you, I've always really admired what um how fantastic you are at building networks, and this is an important skill for today's marketers as well, building your network building connection, um, finding and bringing people together and, you know, finding solutions around that. Like what would be your top tips to like marketers around how to build their network and, and like the value of that um, and how talk about marketing being a science and creative, like it's very hard to be that rounded one person. So you really need networks of people who can come together and find solutions. So, and in your new, you know, your new company, building networks is really important if you're going to be on the So like, can you give, like, give people some information about how you do it and like what top tips you have? Yeah, sure. So uh, alcohol helps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was always the social lubricant before we had to sit here in our, season maybe it still is but yeah not it is like except it's a bit it's a bit different now because it's not like you know we're seeing each other face to face I mean you could be drinking a massive glass of gin right now who knows yeah. <laughs> so um do you know I think I think one thing that people might find a bit surprising about me is um how much I struggle inside myself that people don't see um to have confidence in certain situations. So walking into a room of people I don't know at a conference or whatever, inside I'm like, oh my God, 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 do it, 
So I literally just have to put my big girl pants on and I literally will just go for someone after scanning the room to say, is there anyone I know here first that I'm going to go to yeah. first? And they're talking to people and then I'll introduce myself. But I literally just have to get on and do it. And I find that when you're actually at physical events and you're in a lunch queue or you're sitting at a table with someone, I actually go and sit not on a table with my colleagues. I will go and sit on a table with people that I don't know. Or maybe there's a couple of people on there, I do know, but definitely people I don't know. Um, because, I, and I'll also get to know the person first. So it's, of course, you say, you know, what's your name or where do you work as a bit of introduction. But then I'll talk to them in a way that um, to get to know them as a person, as a human being, to find some common ground and common interest. Yeah. Also, um, something I learned about myself just very recently in the last like week or two, which I had not considered for years, is that I'm dyslexic. And I had not thought about it. I had okay. brought it up in conversations. And I've been speaking to um, uh, Katie Alexander from Digital Science, who's part of Publishing Enabled. And um, she's dyslexic. And I suddenly realized that some of my issues that I have, um, which could be like, you know, just forgetting what I'm saying, uh, twisting words around, um, not being able to think of a word when I'm talking. Um, and I have my mechanisms, my way of dealing with yeah. things. That really um, affects me when I'm talking to people, especially like in interviews. But I realise actually it's my dyslexia, literally like two weeks ago or last week. And that now there's a coping mechanism that I can do around that kind of thing, which is super helpful. So that has always um, affected my confidence. But what you see on the outside is not what's going on on the inside. And that's OK. Yeah. You know, just keep that facade outside. And if you struggle inside, it's fine. What I would recommend is just be bold and be brave in what you're doing. And, um, you know, everybody at the end of the day is human and a lot of people will be going through the same things. And what I've also found really helpful in establishing my networks and my connections is if I can help someone with something, I will. So if I'm meeting someone, I've met someone and they say, oh, you know, I, I really want to find someone that does this and I can help them, I'll point them to the right person or the right place and I know that that you know people really value that because you yeah. are people at the end of the day and you know why should we not be kind and try and help each other and support each other so yeah I think uh, and building relationships with your various stakeholders um, is very important um, you and I both know this from working in environments with sales and I think that there's a huge divide sometimes between sales and marketing teams and they shouldn't be um afraid of each other it should be very much working together and also respecting sales's challenges and what they need and what they can do but also vice versa sales respecting marketing's challenges what they do and how you can come together and work together and, and i formed some incredible relationships with salespeople over the year who's years yeah. who are still my friends now and um that that was massively important for me yeah. it was just taking the time to identify their pain points as we do i think people forget that they spend too much time targeting their external customer and they're not dealing with yeah. the communication channels with their internal customer yeah there um, is a, that ability to like think you know empathize with the other person's situation which is so important in terms of like avoiding conflict or why isn't yeah. this person helping me you know put yourself in their shoes um yeah. you know and try and understand what's motivating them um you know Another good piece of advice I was given was assume positive intent. Like everybody wants to be successful and they're, you know, they're not doing things just to be spiteful. You just like, yeah. it, you know, assume that people are just trying to get the best outcome for their customer or um, for, you know, whatever is the result they're looking for. But I thought it was really interesting. You know, you always seem, you always seem so confident when I've seen you at conferences and things, you're like, you're so good at like, just going and talking to people the fact that like someone who appears like you like to be like but you're also still feeling really nervous inside oh god yeah and always I think, I think we also sometimes forget that you know everybody else in the room is feeling that way as well yeah. and sometimes they just want someone to come and talk to them so they feel less alone yeah. and self-conscious and they they'll be really grateful normally that you make the effort to outreach to them and oh, yeah. to ask them a question when they're standing on their own at the lunch. 
I've targeted a few loners <laughs> and, then got, and, then, and then we've remained like with each other for most of the time when I've been yes. thinking, I really want to now go over there, but I can't now. I yes. want to stay with I this can't person. Leave you. You both like to each them. other. Yeah. And I do have great tactic for uh, when I introduce people and I've forgotten their name, I usually tend to do like a sales tactic and have an awkward silence. And so I'll say, I'll say, oh, Zoe. Um, um, oh no, how would I do it? I'd go, um, oh, I'd love you to meet each other. This is Zoe Loveland. And then I just stare. <laughs> and then they say their name and I'll go, yes, this is Monica or something. Okay, brilliant. I need, I need to use that one. I'm terrible with names and it's getting worse as I get older. I know. Oh, so it's just, it's just the way it is. But, you know, I have to say, it's been absolutely brilliant speaking to Zoe. I have, it has just been such good fun, such a good laugh. And you have given some incredible advice and insight along the way. And I know that a lot of people are going to take some really great takeaways from this and also feel very inspired. And I hope that your team listen to this as well, because they'll recognize a lot of, um, you know, what you say, because you are the line manager at the end of the day, but also I bet that they'll take a lot from this as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you. Do you know, I love chatting to you. It reminded me of the old days with some of the conversations we used to have when we were sat in the office at ProQuest to have, you know, just chatting Random. through the day about everything. So it was, it was absolutely fantastic. And I think you're doing a great thing here by, you know, doing this podcast hopefully you know finding some people who will inspire some of the upcoming talent in the industry um to go and take that extra step i'm very happy if people want to find me on linkedin um and ask me questions or on my twitter um at zoe 2302 like um yeah and um very happy to help you lou because i think it's great what you're doing um, thank you so thank you very much i've really enjoyed chatting to you this morning no problem. So thank you very much.